It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason and the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thanks so much for joining us. Give us a little part of your day. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Those of you that like accountability, those of you that like uh, behind the scenes, what's going on, pulling back the pulling back the hood, pulling back the curtains to see who is doing what and all the crazy stuff that's going on. We got somebody you're really going to like. Um, I was introduced to him uh, via the Government Accountability Institute, which is run by Peter Schweitzer. I'm affiliated with that group, but he's uh, he's one of these hardcore researchers that, you know, dives deep into the computer and gets lost in these rabbit holes and un- unearths all kinds of things. His name is Seamus Bruner. He's got a brand new book just launched, just launched called Controlagarchs, uh, clever name. And uh, we're going to have a chat with him a little bit about what he does, how he does it. Um, but the guy does amazing research and he dives into the likes of, you know, Bill Gates and Zuckerberg and all of these names that you kind of hear and see. But you wonder, right, what's really going on back there? We're going to talk to him. We're going to have some thoughts on the news because, you know, there's always somebody um doing stuff out there and then of course the stupid which is i got a little ahead of myself there's always somebody doing stupid somewhere so we're gonna highlight the stupid and then uh we'll get on the horn with uh with seamus so let's start with some things in the news first of all i was really glad to see um earlier a very bipartisan group gathering there in washington dc uh in favor of Israel and the Jewish community to be able to live in peace and harmony without terrorist attacks that go out and kill 1,400 people. The idea that we even have to have a discussion about this in this country is pretty shocking unto itself. But what I did like, what I did see on the mall there in Washington, D.C., with tens of thousands of people, is uh, very bipartisan. Uh, people on both sides of the aisle, leader of both leaders within both parties. Um, even though you have some outliers who cry and, and say, you know, they want to cease fire and oh, don't hurt us. So we'll just kill you. Um, (laughs) the clarity, um, of having a bipartisan support of Israel's right to exist, I thought was really good. Uh, other things I want to touch on now, get out the vote. You know, we had an election recently and, uh, Republicans thought they should do a little bit better. Gosh, we heard the same thing back in 2022, and you can kind of foreshadow that 2024 might be the same type of thing. You just think, I think conservatives or Republicans are looking at the equation saying, oh my goodness, you know, all the um, issues are behind us. Um, Republicans claim to be on the right side of inflation, government spending, the immigration debate, um, inflation, the economy, safety on crimes in your streets, uh, the wars that are raging on in the world. I mean, what policy can the Democrats possibly glob onto that they think can drive their, 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 their issues forward? Now, they do pick ballot initiatives. They go after, for instance, abortion or 
marijuana rights or something like that. And that does drive uh, a, a good group of people to the poll, the polls where that is their number one issue. But I wrote an op-ed for Fox News and it was, I feel very strongly about this. There are things out there that conservatives and Republicans just don't understand about how good the Democrats are getting out the vote. They work all year on this. They don't just show up in election year and say, hey, let's get the neighbors together and let's go vote. No, 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 no. What Joe Biden did as president on, this, on March 7th of 2021, been in office roughly 45 days at that point. Voila, he had this very comprehensive, well-written out, because they'd been working on it before, uh, executive order. It's number 14019. And what it said was, we're going to get out the vote by leveraging all the federal employees and all the federal assets and all the infrastructure to get out the vote. Now, on the surface, it sounds so good. Let's get out the vote. You know, everybody should vote in this country. You know, nobody's going to argue against those things. But what we should all be concerned about is Joe Biden was very candid in this in this uh, executive order and that he was going to target low propensity voters. That is people within the voting blocks that traditionally vote Democrat, and they're going to push to get them registered to vote, get them vote and help them get their ballot in the box. These include uh, people in prisons. These include certain ethnic people of ethnic persuasions. Interesting, it talks about Hispanics, talks about African-Americans. Doesn't mention Asian-Americans, which I thought was interesting, which aren't a sure bet like the, like the other groups that are taken for granted by the Democratic Party. Um, and what they do is they can leverage and come up with plans on how they're going to do this. So 600 departments and agencies within federal government, all this flowed through and up to uh, Susan Rice. I detailed this in my book, The Puppeteers. For those of you who read Puppeteers, this is not new information, but we saw it in action. Here's the problem. Okay, here's why it becomes a real big issue. They're leveraging your taxpayer dollars. They're spending untold millions of dollars to do this. And they have insider information. They have data on um, who these people are. Are they registered to vote? Are they not registered to vote? Do they get food stamps? Do they not get food stamps? Are they in jail? Are they not in jail? Are they all of these types of metrics and things are in place, but they don't share it with anybody else. In fact, there were Freedom of Information Act requests put in from the government to say, hey, what are your plans? What are you doing since it was such a good thing that the president said it was so imperative, it's such a good thing. We get out the vote. When anybody asks, well, okay, well, those plans that were developed, what are they? Well, what are you going to do? Can, can we use those resources too? Oh, no, 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 no. The president has refused to fulfill those Freedom of Information Act requests and in court has been arguing that there's executive privilege, which is a whole nother level, saying, no, this is the president's plan. This is what the president can do. He personally is reviewing this information. Therefore, it is too sensitive and cannot be released to the public as whole. Yet it's a plan to get you to vote if you're one of the Democrats chosen groups. That's some scary stuff, folks. That should be first and foremost out there and really needs to be dealt with. Um, and the other thing I wanted to highlight real quick in the news is this, I feel bad, I think her name is Vicki Baker. 
There's an interesting court case that's happening in um, McKinney, Texas. There was a raid on her home. Now, she wasn't involved. They were following a suspect, but it got pretty violent, and they, they really had to tear up her home with, you know, like an armored vehicle. I don't know all the details, okay? I just know that she detailed with receipts $59,000 in damage to her home, no fault of herself, of her, of her own. They weren't going after her. They were going after a suspect who ended up being involved in that home. And she's like, I can't afford the $59,000 because it was a government action. It's not covered by her insurance. And she's looking around saying, what should I do? So she sued to try to get the money. But the courts have ruled, no, it was law enforcement action. They don't have to reimburse you. I just really feel for her. I think it should be, that's something we really got to look at again. Because it's one thing if you're barricading your own home and your law enforcement wants to talk to you, get with you for whatever legitimate reason out there, that's a whole different scenario. But if it's not somebody in that and they damage your home, that's the homeowners. They got to take care of that. That just just doesn't seem right to me. All right, time to bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, so... Have you heard of the FDIC? Have you ever gone to your bank or credit union and seen that, oh, your money is safe? You put your money in this in this financial institution, it's safe. Because the FDIC, um, I think it's Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. I think that's what they call it. I think that's what FDIC is. They are the ones that are out there doing the inspections on these credit unions, the banks, whatnot. Make sure your money's safe. The report's coming out on foxnews.com about the party atmosphere, what the inspector general is out there finding about them partying, these lewd acts that are going on, people. It's crazy town at the FDIC. What should be, what appears on the surface is to be the most benign uh, accountant-like um, uh, group out there ends up to being some hardcore partiers. Now, not all of them. We're not here to disparage all of them. But this culture of, wow, just incredibly lewd things, they win our award for doing something really, really stupid. All right, let's jump into it with Seamus, though. We came to talk to Seamus because Seamus knows how to get it done. He's one of those great guys who pours his heart and soul, dives deep on issue, finds facts, develops a fact pattern, and he does it old school, old school. And so I think you're going to be fascinated by this discussion. So let's give a call to Seamus Bruner. Hello. Hey, Seamus, Jason Chaffetz. Jason, good to hear your voice. Glad to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you joined us um, on this uh, Jason in the House podcast. I was just with you recently. And I'm so excited with you, so excited for you because this this new book you've got coming out, and I just thought, I know you would, but I I just had to ask you to come on because, you know, I met you through the Government Accountability Institute, of which I'm associated as well, and um, you just do amazing work. I've seen you a couple times on Fox, maybe not a household word at this point, but. You're just one of those guys that loves to like dive deep and has this curiosity, but also has the smarts to figure out how to dig up all these stuff. You're like 
an oversight dream. I just, I, I just love it. I think it's great. Oh, it's an honor. It's an honor to be with you. And uh, you're an oversight legend. So I'm, I'm lucky. And uh, yeah, it was great to see you. And I'm very excited to talk about what's in the book. You're the first podcast I'm doing. And I'm, I'm just uh, happy to be here. Yeah, no, look, you, in terms of there are people that always they just they have this curiosity, but they also have the knowledge like how to dig deep. So Talk for a moment about the book, but then I want to go, we're going to dive into your background and how you got here, but uh, tell people the title of the book, what you were trying to get out, and what are they going to see? Because it's a nice, big, thick book with all kinds of, you know, uh, understanding of where it came from. But what were you trying to do? And, uh, you know, what, what are people going to see or hear when they, when they get this book? So the title is Controligarchs. It's a portmanteau of the word control and oligarchs. And these are the uh, the billionaires plotting to, and scheming to dominate every aspect of your life. It's the, it's the exposing the billionaires, their secret deals, and the globalist plot to dominate your life. So on the cover, we've got Bill Gates front and center. You've got Meta's Mark Zuckerberg. You've got Amazon's Jeff Bezos. You've got, of course, George Soros. And uh, his son, Alex Soros, didn't make the cover, but this is really about the right. passing of the torch from George to his much, much younger son, Alex. And you've got uh, Klaus Schwab, the secretive founder of the World Economic Forum in Davos. So and, go ahead. Yeah, that's, I, well, mean, I was just going to say we... Uh, you know, we, we see these guys keep popping up time and again. I mean, we're the Government Accountability Institute, and we are uh, proud capitalists here. So what, what are a bunch of big corporate titans doing on the cover of a book about government corruption? Well, you know, when we, we look into government corruption, we find time and again, you find people like Soros are putting their fingers on the scales of justice and of, uh, you know, in the in the House, in the Senate, the Bill Gates is uh, personally lobbying senators like Joe Manchin on Joe, Joe Biden's climate bill type stuff. And so really at the Government Accountability Institute, our motto is to follow the money. And in this book, we followed it all the way to the top. So let's go a little deeper on George Soros, right? I, I think a lot of um, concerned Republicans, conservatives, they would look at it and say, oh, he's awful, he's terrible. But then if you try to ask, well, okay, why? Like, what's he doing that's so, I mean, he's participating in the political process. He's funding a lot of uh, or groups and organizations that maybe uh, conservatives or Republicans don't like. But what is he doing behind the scene? Like, what's his goal? What, where, what, I mean, does he hate America? Like, what's he doing that is so, you know, causes a lot of red flags to go up? Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I had always heard growing up and I mean, he's been a, a villain, a boogeyman of the right for so long that he just, you know, just is kind of there. And you hear all right. these, you know, conspiracy theories and all of these things about George Soros. Um, at the end of the day, these guys are about making money. Of course, he's made billions and billions of dollars uh, speculating on currency. He's known sometimes as the man who broke the Bank of England because he'll short a country's currency. Um, he did that in uh, Asia, caused an Asian financial crisis. And he kind of operates uh, in some ways as a quasi-governmental entity all around the world. Uh, he's really big in Ukraine, and he 
he sets up these NGOs. He calls it his Open Society uh, Foundations. And that sounds great. I mean, who's who's not in favor of an open society? But then he uh, uses that money to and these foundations to sort of exert his political will in uh, various countries like Ukraine. I mean, the the stuff, but in the United States, I mean, we're not, we're not Ukrainian. So what do we care about in the United States? Something that's some have heard of, many have heard of, others have not is his buying of the prosecutors, the, you know, the district attorneys, he pours enormous sums of money into these sort of local jurisdictions and in, in these prosecutor races, which doesn't cost a whole lot of money to get your guy in. And then those prosecutors are responsible for the soft on crime policies. And so uh, when you see the looters or the the BLM rioters getting just slaps on the wrist or people being let out of prison or the elimination of cash bail, these are all Soros prosecutors most of the time. And, and uh, I mean, then he uses uh, his prosecutors, for example, in this coming up election, the 2024 election to go after political Opponent. So Alvin Bragg is a Soros prosecutor, the the Manhattan DA who has charged Donald Trump. I mean, after Donald Trump had declared his candidacy. And so that, that, you know, in some senses, he is participating in the political process. That's not a bad thing. Using your money to uh, exert your you know political preferences. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But then when, you know, these prosecutors are sort of undermining the rule of law, ironically, um, that is sort of a bad thing. And, um, you know, we look into the prosecutors. Another thing we look into is he's got a very uh, pro-abortion stance, always has. So he funds a lot of these groups and uh, like like he'll give money to a Planned Parenthood action to make sure that you can abort a baby right up to the moment of birth. And, you know, I you know, people can have their opinions on pro-life or pro-choice. But I think a lot of people think it's an ideological battle. What many people don't know, this is one of the bigger bombshells in the book, is there's actually a profit motive to uh, abortion. And George Soros is was actually invested in some of the com- companies, the, especially a pharmaceutical company that profits from uh, these pills that uh, that you know women take to abort their babies. So. Um, you know, there's 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 a mix of ideological and political motives with George Soros, and you know that he's got a mountain of wealth. He's passing it on to his son Alex, and we're capitalists again. We don't have any problem with mountains of wealth, but using it for sort of these um, undermining the rule of law and these you know anti-life, you know pro-choice as they call it policies. Um, that's sometimes what we do have a problem with. So let's go, let's understand kind of Seamus here a little bit, you know, what do you look for when you, when you, when you want to do like oversight and you want to dive deep into something? I think a lot of people say, oh, I just go on Google and I just Google it, you know, and, but Google itself is somewhat tainted, uh, given the algorithms on the search engines, you know, you try to type in uh, an organization like the Federalist, and you're going to have a really, you're not going to see the Federalist articles pop up on a Google search. You have to like go to the Federalist and then search on there. Um, so when you're doing research, like what, 
your perspective, what piques your interest? What are you looking for when you're like, all right, I think I want to write this book. Um, you don't just take the famous faces. You, you kind of start from the bottom up. How do you do that? What's the process? So I'll uh, start with a little bit of my background and then how I got linked up with Peter Schweitzer, who taught me everything I know about how to do this kind of research. He's a brilliant, brilliant mentor and so grateful grateful to him for everything he's taught me. Uh, I went to college and studied political science, thought I wanted to get into politics. I actually studied Mandarin, thought I might want to be a lobbyist for China. So that gives you an idea how <laughs> a lobbyist for China. I was. I, that, that gives you an idea how misguided I was a decade ago when, you know, I didn't know anything I knew about. I know about China today working for Peter Schweitzer. So that's that was then. Then I in college, I volunteered for this guy, Peter Schweitzer. I heard he was, you know, into politics was really all I had heard. I was like, OK, maybe this would be a good guy to volunteer for. And within a year of working for Peter Schweitzer, he uh, disabused me of all notions that I had learned in college about, you know, China's our partner and all of that kind of stuff. And we started following the money. The book I worked on first for Peter was called Throw Them All Out. And uh, that was, you know, that was <laughs> the beginning of learning that, yeah, I don't want to go into politics. I would like to stay on the outside and investigate the the people on both sides. We're a nonpartisan institute, so we, we do go after both sides and uh, just investigate how they're uh, using cronyism and corruption to enrich themselves. And so the next book, after Throw Them All Out, I mean, there was one called Extortion, but the book I really love and I look at as kind of where I cut my teeth on the following the money was Clinton Cash. And uh, that was where we blew the lid off of the Clinton Foundation. And I was still a pretty young uh, researcher for Schweitzer at that time. So they gave me the task of going through all thousand thousands of pages of the Clinton Foundation IRS 990 tax forms, tax filings. And these are hundreds of pages because the Clinton Foundation does just that much good in the world. And in these <laughs> <Yeah>. IRS 9... <laughs> that's sarcasm if it didn't come through. Yeah. So in these 990s, uh, the to their credit, I will say, to the Clintons' credit, they disclosed every single donor to their foundation. and But they come in this not searchable sort of very ugly form. So following the money is a very hard task. It's why you see or don't see a lot of journalists doing it these days. It's a slog. So I had to manually, one by one, row by row, take Saudi Arabia, $10 million, put the date, put the year, the country of origin, the location of the donor. And I built this spreadsheet. I called it the Clinton Cash Trail. And now I build a cash trail for every investigation that I do. And I just start putting the money figures in there and uh, ended up with thousands of rows. I put all of Bill Clinton's speech payments in there because it took us a while to crack the code on the Clintons, figure out what is this all about. Once it was all in a spreadsheet like that, um, we were able to sort it by country. We were able to sort it by date. And we could really put like start to see the pattern that Bill Clinton's speeches, you know, I'd see moscow why is bill clinton giving a speech in moscow um and then we'd look oh in the 2010 time frame well hillary clinton was having all these new start treaty negotiations nuclear treaty negotiations with russia this was amid the obama administration's russia reset 
And we're like, okay, Bill's in Moscow, Hillary's doing this. And that's, we eventually got to the Uranium One story um, by following the money. And, and that's really, I, that is my, uh, that's my strategy is I follow the money. You got to go get these really clunky, cumbersome documents, but they do, they do exist. They are public. And if they're not that, I mean, that that's against the rules. So you find the uh, IRS 990s in the case of a private foundation or the office of government ethics, uh, OGE form 278 is the one for either public officials of really of any kind, but administration officials. And on these OGE forms, I know you're familiar with them. You got to list your stock transactions and you've got to list your assets and your liabilities, but it doesn't make it easy. They, they certainly don't make it easy for uh, journalists to put the pieces together. So that's why I really pulled the money data out of these clunky forms. I put it into a spreadsheet and then I sort by date and I try to build a timeline and that's uh eventually you get you know when you follow the money you get up to where the money comes from and it's a lot of these big foundations like the soros foundation i believe george soros was the largest single largest donor in the 2022 midterm cycle i suspect he'll be a pretty major donor in the 2024 cycle and uh and then you have to take it a step further and see well where did this money go to and did that person end up giving any favors uh, did the did either the public official give the favors back to the private individual or the private foundation, or uh, you know did did the private foundation give the money for any specific purpose? And really, you, you it's all about the timeline in that sense, where you you have to see that what is this person really interested in? What is Bill Gates really interested in when Joe Biden is? Uh, pushing the Inflation Reduction Act through Congress. And we saw that actually Bloomberg News reported Bill Gates uh, wanted a bunch of climate change money. He's actually got for-profit businesses that are allegedly solving climate change, and they receive tons of taxpayer stimulus, tons of, you know, I call it welfare for oligarchs, where he's got a nuclear power company called Terra Power, and that's, uh, you know, supposed to solve climate change. And so, Bill Gates will then pick up the phone and call Senator Joe Manchin and say, hey, listen, stop holding out on this vote. We'll get you, uh, you know, whatever waivers for the people in your state you need. And uh, that's that's how I ended up at this book is stories like that where, you know, Bill Gates is picking up the phone and calling senators and getting exactly what he wants. Yeah. Go deeper on Bill Gates, because I think most people know the founder of Microsoft and and as exorbitant wealth, I mean, uh, he's not Elon Musk, but uh, but he's trying to be. And, uh, you know, he puts himself up there with him and Melinda, the Gates Foundation and all this good they're doing around the world. They probably do some good, but he's also got this for-profit, selfish. Um, and, and, you know, it's fascinating to me how much time he spent in China, how much time he spent lobbying Congress. But it sounds like it's all good business for him. It's very good business. That's the thing you realize is much, much like the Clintons, these philanthropies turn out to, I mean, the more they give away, the richer they get. It's very counterintuitive. Every, every dollar Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gives away, he, uh, Bill Gates personally gets $2 back. And, and, and we really kind of expose the, the oligarch business model. It's the same thing with George Soros. How, how can they be giving away tens of billions of dollars and now they're worth you know, in Bill Gates's case, over a hundred 
billion dollars with a B. I mean, most people can't fathom the amounts of money yeah. that these guys have. And and I do give them credit. I mean, they they build products that I mean, we're we're capitalists. We love uh we love the capitalist system. And I certainly use, I mean, I typed up, it was kind of funny. I typed up the the book, uh, the manuscript on Microsoft Word. And I'm like, man, this is a great product. Now, it, as an aside, it was actually funny because Microsoft Word now, they you know they have the spell checker and the grammar checker. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but they actually have the inclusivity checker. Oh, and uh, I started getting I have not seen that. On... <laughs> well, you will. Um, as, you, uh, as you write your next book, uh, you start getting flags like you had misspelled a word. And I'm like, what is this? And it says mankind, and that's a that's a no no. That is a that is a gendered term. Microsoft Word would like you to know, and you should change change that word from mankind to perhaps humanity, which still has the word man in it, by the way. Yeah. But <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Anyhow, I do love the uh, I do love a lot of Microsoft well, so does products. Woman. woman has man in it. <laughs> hey, hey, now that's uh, <laughs> never mind. Pay yes. no attention. To that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I use a lot of the product. Amazon, you know, Amazon is, they make these products that are totally and entirely convenient. And we, we love a lot of the products. And so it was something I had to kind of struggle with is, you know, I, I, I appreciate what they've done in bringing, you know, the computer age forward. But then you, you look at these, you know, I'm, I call them oligarchs and they're different than the 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 billionaire philanthropists of the past, like you know the Vanderbilts or the Carnegies, who you know used their money uh, to build hospitals and in schools and libraries, we started to look. What are these these billionaires of today? I mean, and these are not you know average billionaires. These are like centibillionaires, hundred right, billionaires. Right. Mark Zuckerberg. What are they spending their money on today? And so, in the case of Bill Gates, I mean, his foundation it seems good on the surface. Um, to be, you know, increasing access to healthcare, um, you know, healthcare services around the world. But uh, time and again, you see that he he uses the first of all, when you go into a country in Africa, like Bill Gates has done, and you're and you come saying, "I'm going to solve some terrible disease like malaria." Um, the, the government there opens opens the you know gives you a key to the city essentially, and you know, in some senses, he, he sort of owns that country's public health policy. And, and, and right. in many cases, he uses that access as sort of like, a, a, I mean, I, I would not say this term, but others have said this term, you, you know, human guinea pigs, he tests out a new pharmaceutical product on a population in, in India, this happened, and there were lots of deaths. Uh, he has a lot of interest in, he calls it maternal health, but really it's birth control and uh, decreasing the birth rate. You, you hear that Bill Gates is very concerned about uh, the population levels, and he goes in and he tries out a uh, a new type of uh, contraceptive, and then it, it, you know, the population doesn't react well to it, and uh, it's, you know, it, it can be unsettling. Some of the findings in the book are rather unsettling about just kind of the the deaths that have occurred from some of these trials, um, and then you you see that he's personally invested in the pharmaceutical companies. He's right. got a huge interest in vaccines. He's got a huge. I mean, it, he created a computer system, and then he profited off of antivirus software. Well, now he realizes like viruses amongst humans can be a very thing, so very profitable endeavor. So, going and trying to cure all of these diseases, you can actually make a huge amount of money. 
And, uh, you know, you see that in the healthcare sector. He's also very interested in the food sector. That was something that kind of surprised me. It's like Bill Gates is a computer guy. Why does he care so much about food? And some of your your listeners, I'm sure, have heard about him buying up large chunks yeah. of American farmland. And it's like, what is what is Bill Gates up to there? Um, we actually we we followed the money once again and found that he Bill Gates is heavily invested in these alternative protein companies, things like uh, Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible Foods. Um, that are making fake meats, essentially, uh, alternative proteins. He's He's got a fake dairy company that he's heavily invested in, even a fake breast milk company. I'm sure they don't like me saying the word fake breast milk, but that's what it is. They're, they're, they're making breast milk for babies in a lab somewhere, and uh, he's, he's, he's invested in that. So, um, you know, it's you wonder why, you know, why would you be so interested in the food supply. Well, it's very profitable. It's probably one of the most profitable businesses on the planet, or at least it's one of the largest industries on the planet is food production. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he learned with software that if you have the licensing and if you have the rights and it's really the intellectual property, and if you can license that intellectual property, um, you can continue to make money over and over and over again with every new version. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these proteins. He actually, the companies he invests in uh, gets a patent on the proteins. They, they file a patent and that gives them effectively a 20 year monopoly. You can't patent a cow or a chicken or a mother's mother's milk, but you can patent these synthetic versions of food. So it's, it's kind of creepy. It sounds conspiratorial, but it's right all out there in the open. You go to their websites, and I actually looked at the timing of Gates's investment. He invests in uh, some of these alternative protein companies, right? Like just like days or weeks after their patent has been granted, and so that company now has a monopoly on making that fake burger. And then, then it makes you start to wonder: Do they, are they really worried about cow flatulence, or is this sort of like a regulatory capture where real cows are the competition and because they own the patents on the fake meat then if you can regulate the competition that equals even more profits for yourself and so the, these kind of stories make you realize that these are not so much capitalists uh, making a better product but they're crony capitalists who are using the government and regulation to increase their bottom line and possibly, you know, I'm not a scientist or a, a food expert, but there are many scientists and food experts who say that the kind of chemicals that go into these foods are not good. They're not good for you. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Seamus right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. What about Jeff Bezos? Um, you know, you got him on the cover as well. He, uh, you know, we know he likes outer space, evidently, um, you know, and he, he likes going on yachts, according to you know, the tabloids. So, but what about Bezos? 
Yeah. So uh, Jeff Bezos, he's he's he, you know, on the surface appears to be one of the more benign. I mean, we I I followed him all the way back through his history. He actually used to be a lot more libertarian. You wouldn't think of him as kind of more like one of the George Soros types who's ideological right, and really right. force foisting left wing ideologies on the entire population. Um, and so I would say that, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos on the surface is a, is a good guy. He's probably is a good guy uh, personally from everything I've uh, read. He seems a very nice, nice gentleman. Um, but he, too, is investing in a lot of these synthetic food companies. He's he's invested in uh, several fake meat companies. And and those companies have an incentive to make it harder for you to get a real stake. Um, and, and that's when you see the regulations coming through. They lobby for the types of regulations that farmers are protesting around the world. They're protesting against some of these regulations that are trying to put them out of business. Uh, Jeff Bezos is buying up a lot of farmland and land in America. Yeah, which is not a problem. None of these things are I'm not I'm certainly not alleging any crimes are committed, but I just am showing like kind of where where their heads are at. And uh the biggest tool of control that Jeff Bezos is is kind of pouring his money into, both uh as personal investments, but also he set up this uh nonprofit endeavor called the Bezos Earth Fund. And uh, he put $10 billion into the Bezos Earth Fund, and and that is investing in sort of these technologies that I would I would say and I think the evidence in the book shows are really tools of control whether it's electric vehicles um, the electric vehicles I mean he's invested in uh, you know several electric vehicle companies right um, which on the surface an electric vehicle doesn't seem like a bad thing I mean so I, I'm certainly an environmentalist and a conservationist in the sense and I think everyone is at heart that we don't want a dirty planet nobody wants uh, smoggy air right, or right. Dirt, dirty water, of course. But when you see what these uh, electric vehicles, the capabilities that they have, I mean, you just look at, and all you have to do is look at the tech platforms to kind of see where their heads are, are at with the deplatforming of people who don't agree with them. The, you know, if they can turn off your ability to speak on uh, on Facebook or, you know, Amazon has been known to blacklist books that are, uh, you know, pushing unapproved narratives. We'll see how long my book is allowed to stay on there. Um, but, you know, with the electric vehicles, they've got some serious capabilities. And in, in the, on the one hand, they don't have the capability of going more than two or 300 miles. And then you have to pull over and charge or right. maybe call up a gas powered generator to meet you on the side of the road. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the other hand, they, they are all connected to a smart grid. And, you know, like it, they're connected to the Internet and it's it's they call this the Internet of Things. That's a, a right. World Ec Economic Forum uh, term that was coined back in the 90s, where all, all of your devices, your car and your home and your thermostat are hooked up to the electric grid, the smart grid. And the smart grid is run by, you know, AI and, and big tech companies in Silicon Valley. Well, um, from this, I, I think. There's a story in the book about these smart thermostats that can kind of illustrate why a smart car or an electric vehicle would be a bad idea. It's actually happened, Jason. This this shocked me when I read about it. I was like, that can't be true. But in, in Texas, in Colorado, and in California, at least three states, and probably more by the time people get their hands on the book, the utility companies, you 
have turned down remotely turned down or up the thermostats to save power so in the summer really? you might not be able yes uh, <laughs> the, the the headline i think it was a houston chronicle article the headline was i woke up uh, drenched in sweat because their thermostat had been remotely set to 80 degrees by the utility company and it's and amazon of course makes you know these these smart thermostats google makes one you know you've got alexa in your home you've got uh the google nest yeah um yeah which nest is kind of a it seems a sinister sounding term any anyhow but you know they they they're they're convenient of course you're like oh i can set my uh, thermostat down so when i get home from work it's a little bit cooler in my house that sounds great but then when gavin newsom says we're going to have uh, rolling blackouts unless everybody turns their thermostat up to 80 and then they don't give you a choice you can kind of see well what if uh, what if you thought that i shouldn't go on a road trip this weekend are you going to stop my my electric vehicle from from allowing me to right. drive more than 200 miles in a weekend. And it, you know, I would have thought a lot of this stuff sounds like conspiracy theory, but we've seen it playing out just every day. There seems like a new dystopian type story um, where people's bank accounts are getting, you know, they're getting locked out of their bank accounts or, I mean, the, the stifling of free speech is, is something that, you know, we all kind of recognize, but it's really, it's really terrifying where this ends up if you can't talk about it. And and that's kind of the agenda and the MO of a lot of the guys here on the cover. And some of them are like Bezos, a lot smarter about what they say publicly. And then others like Bill Gates sort of smile in their their Mr. Rogers cardigan style on TV and you know, lacking the self-awareness that locking people into their homes is actually a terrifying prospect. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Seamus right after this. Yeah, no kidding. That That is crazy. And, and I mean, that begs so many questions. We could go like half hour talking about just that. But um, Seamus, a, a little bit more about your background. Uh, we've only got a few more minutes uh, with the podcast here. But so you, where'd you grow up? What did you like? Like, where were you born? Let's start there. I was born in uh, upstate New York, outside of Albany, Albany, New York. Yeah. Um, and my my father, James Bruner, he's, uh, he's my hero. I, I love my dad. And he he was the director of an organization called the New York Family Policy Council in upstate New York. It's mm -hmm. uh, connected to the, the focus on the family organization out by you. I think it's in Colorado, but I know you're in Utah. And... Uh, you know, after several years running the New York Family Policy Council, getting a lot of hate in uh, New York, right. he he got a job offer in Tallahassee, Florida, and that would be 2003. So decades, plural, I guess, ago Can't now. That's but, been all. Yeah. And, uh, hard to believe that's 20 years ago. Yes. 20 years ago. So I'm one of six. My parents, uh, God bless them. I don't know how they did it, but uh, had six kids and moved all six, all eight of us. Uh, drove us down to Tallahassee, Florida. We'd never been to Florida. Couldn't really afford uh, Disney for a, a giant brood like that to take everybody <laughs> yeah, from New York. Okay. So we moved to Florida and uh, I I just love Tallahassee and it's a beautiful, beautiful town. It's got, it's very close to the coast and we go to the, you know, you'd go to the beach and I uh, applied to a bunch of colleges all around the country and got into to some really good ones. But when I saw the price tag, $50,000 or so, you know, a year, and like, why am I going to go into debt 
to, to go to one of these schools. So I went to Florida State University, which I'm just so happy I did. Didn't have to go into massive right. debt. Yeah, I was right and there. I'm even more happy that uh, through through the contacts we made at church in Tallahassee, I met Peter Schweitzer. And uh, he's my, my entire professional career. I mean, I worked at Xerox as an intern in a few big Fortune 500 right. companies as a youngster. But my real professional career started when I met Peter Schweitzer. Never thought I wanted to write books. I mean, I told you I wanted to be in politics and possibly lobbying for China. I, please forgive me for uh, my naivete. <laughs> I was a kid and I just saw that uh, that's where the world looked like it was going. Now I know much better than that. We're exposing the people who lobby for China. Right. <laughs> so it, it was a little ironic twist, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't be happier. And this is my third book, Working with Schweitz. I worked on, I think, seven of Peter's books. All of them were New York Times bestsellers since I've been here. So uh I'm proud of helping him achieve that. And uh, this is the third book I wrote. I wrote one called Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption. That was in 2018. And that was all about, you know, how the FBI and the DOJ, in my opinion, are at the heart of the swamp. And, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to get accountability until the DOJ is willing to pursue it. And I think that's been proven right uh, yeah. more than I ever more, could have known. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's I started that one. That one, that one came after the Clinton book. I mean, we ended the Clinton cash book, and I just said, you know, smacked my head as like, how on earth were the Clintons allowed to get away with this? And then you see that the the Holder Justice Department uh, granted a Queen for a day and immunity agreements, and she got conflict of interest waivers. I'm like, I mean, the the, the number of ways that the Clintons were just given a free yeah. pass and get out of jail free cards made me really question the DOJ and the FBI. And that was before uh, the 2016 election with Comey and McCabe and Strzok and Page, but they're all in that book. And then then I did Fallout, uh, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and the Washington Lies that Enriched the Clinton and Biden Dynasties, a bit of a mouthful. Wow. But I'm very proud of that book. I, I worked on that with John Solomon of Just the News and He's he's a great guy and got got to know John very well. He's you know he exposes so many big stories, and uh, just proud to know him. And uh, I, you know that book really sort of predicted this conflict we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine. Is if we keep uh, you know using Ukraine to to fight a proxy war with Russia, it's going to end badly. And you see the the nuclear test that Putin is doing. Of course, nobody supports Vladimir Putin, and uh, he's a terrible guy, but. I think nuclear war might be worse. So that was that book. And then this one, you know, it was in Ukraine that I, I came across Soros. And then I kind of just saw some of these. The it was, I think the pandemic is really what opened my eyes to this control oligarchs concept, because you saw governments around the world marching in lockstep. And it, that doesn't happen often. You don't have all of the countries enacting the same policies with very anti-scientific policies. I mean, the, the science behind how to get over uh, a flu-like illness is you stay home uh, if you're sick, not if you're well. You don't lock everybody, right, even the healthy right. people down. Um, and just use sort of common sense. I mean, going back to, it's in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is, you know, you put the sick people in a sick tent, and that's that's roughly how you, how you get over it. But then when you see every, they were locking, you know, Australia was just crazy. Some of the videos you saw of them, you know, throwing people into vans and taking them off to quarantine camps be, that weren't even sick. 
you know, there were people who had not t- gotten right. their vaccination. So that was a, you know, the pandemic was uh, a scary time for everybody for a lot of reasons. And then I saw the vaccine passports and I thought, what what is this about? Um, and through the pandemic, I just kind of saw that you followed the money in a lot of these things, whether it was with the vaccines. I mean, I've got a story in the book of how George Soros and Bill uh, Bill Gates are both invested in uh, a masking and PPE company or in a uh, surprise. There surprise. Was, you know, yeah. Surprise. You know, they were they were making money off of the pandemic. And so. And then they used the pandemic to do like a great reset. The World Economic Forum says, oh, this is you, the real eye opener was when they started using terms like this is a great opportunity. It's like, what you know, this is a tragedy. This global pandemic is a tragedy. I mean, I you know, I guess there's always opportunities, even in tragedies, <laughs> but you know, just they were almost positively giddy. You know, if you watch Bill Gates throughout the pandemic coverage it, it, with the TV on mute, just the the grins, you, you know, he, it almost looked like he couldn't be happier at what was happening. Wow. So that that kind of opened my eyes to it all. And the opportunities, you know, Dr- Trudeau is in the book and Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, some of these, the really uh, tyrannical policies like locking people up, like actually locking them up, not just doing a lockdown um that 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 kind of you know as i thought wow. to myself this has got to be exposed and the money the money behind it all well, has got to be exposed well look i think if anybody listens to this podcast you're going to get the sense that i've seen in person of the enthusiasm and the excitement and that's that's what you want in a researcher and somebody's going to actually dive down put together those massive spreadsheets and then kind of dissect the data and just be able to synthesize it in such and and that's you know with control of garks that i think that's what you've done and that's what's exciting about this book so congratulations on that now seamus i gotta ask you a few more questions we ask everybody to have to kind of run the gauntlet here so no matter how much research you've done you may not be properly prepared for these questions but i gotta ask them all right all right go ahead uh first <laughs> concert you attended the first concert I attended was in Colorado Springs. It was a Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. Uh, I think it was a Focus on the Family event. So it was a it was a good Christian concert. But um, that's a pretty clean first... concert, the cleanest one yeah. I've heard about on this show. But yes, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, what, well, what... since then I've gone to quite a few. I, yeah. I saw the Grateful now Dead. you got some repenting to do uh, after some of these. Yeah, I have some repenting to do. I saw the Grateful Dead's Fare Thee Well tour in Chicago, and uh, I saw the Rolling Stones in Jacksonville. I, I like to go see the uh, the acts that are not going to be around much longer. Yeah, I, and I, so I I remember yeah, when I was in really... high school. I think that was. Um, the Start Me Up or something tour that they were playing at, at uh, Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona. I didn't go to it, but I wanted to go to it because it was the Rolling Stones farewell tour. And I'm like, wait a <laughs> sec. That is literally from like 1985 or whatever date it was. Somebody can look that up. It literally was like 40 years ago. And that was their their farewell yeah. tour, but not really. I, they keep coming around. They got like know, a, I, Stone's got like a, a new new uh, album out. It's I think I, I think saw, I read that. I saw 
I saw Paul, Grateful Dead, Rolling Stones. I think Bob, I saw Bob Dylan and uh, Hall and Oates. They all said it was. The, I saw Paul Simon in New York, uh, in Queens, in his hometown, and uh, he said that that was his fair. Yeah. You know, his his <laughs> his, his you know career final tour. It's and then be the very next year, he had another one. They've all. I they, they got me. Stop. They got yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got me. <laughs> How? Uh, what was your high school mascot? We were the Leon Lions. Because, you know, because uh, of course I rode and, for Leon crew in high school. We won a, I'm proud to say we won a national championship. We be, beat Chaminade and St. Joe's prep and wow. all of these giant. That's pretty good. Prep that's not an easy that, sport. You got to be fit. Yeah. Very fit. And yeah, uh, we impressive. rode the head of the Charles. We were one of the top high schools at the head of the Charles and uh, crew rowing crew was probably before Peter Schweitzer. My crew coach was my best, my best mentor. I love, I love my crew coach, Dan Newman. Row, row. That's good. Um, it's I know it's more complicated than that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, pineapple and pizza, yes or no? Um, this is probably a controversial. Very, I know it's a controversial opinion. I'm a big fan of Hawaiian pizza. It's got to be ham and pineapple, not on. not just pineapple. I'm sorry, I you know I don't order it, but if it's there, I'll have sure. It. I mean, yeah. Now try to take it. Try to claw that one back i wouldn't order uh, it but i'd eat every bit of it if it was in front of me you failed I'm a, that no, question I'm a, I'm a you meat absolutely I'm a meat failed that question you i'm so sorry that is such the wrong honest, answer at least i'm honest i'm sorry yeah it, and that'll haunt you like your love of the chinese government <laughs> so much so that you wanted to lobby for them you can Headline, still get out. You can get Bruner out of that. Likes fruit on pizza. <laughs> Come on, man. Okay, we'll work on you on that one. Um, All right. Best advice you ever got. Oh man, best advice. Well, it. I would have to say it came from my father, my first and favorite mentor, of course. And uh, it was three words, very simply: strive for excellence um, in everything you do. And uh, I, I, I put 110% into everything, whether it was in crew or uh, researching Peter's books or now researching my own books. I mean, my, my poor wife, uh, I, I strive for excellence in my marriage, too. Um, my poor wife, though, is, you know, as I'm doing this book tour, I'm, do, I'm doing 12-hour, 14-hour during the writing process or a few 18-hour days. And uh, I just can't get enough of this this work. And uh, then on the weekends, I, I strive for excellence as a father and as well, that's a husband. Good. That's good. That's good. Well, yeah, I know I've seen it up close and personal how talented you are. So I wish you all the best with the oligarchs or the controligarchs uh, book, Seamus Bruner. You can look it up. And uh, thanks for joining me on the on the uh, Jason in the House podcast. You are the man, Jason. Thank you. It's good to talk with you. All right. I want to thank Seamus for congratulating him, I should really say, on his book, Controligarchs, and uh, the great research that he does. Um, thank you for spending time with us. Please rate this podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you can, but certainly rate it. And then I want to remind people, you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jason Chaffetz. You can find more on the Fox News Podcast Network over at foxnewspodcast.com. 
And again, rate it if you can. And join us next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.